I finally started Red Deb Redemption. Red Deb Redemption. Red Deb Red Redemption. Oh dear. I'm fucking this up royally. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Massive Attack Podcast. I'm Joe and with me as always is Mitch. Hello people. And you, yeah, it's, it's another month and time for another show. And we've got quite a bit to cover sure today too. Sure you've all been waiting. I'm sure we'll have to. <laughs> we'll jump right into gaming to start with because we're going to be talking a little bit about movies later so we may as well get our gaming out of the way. Mitch, yeah. what have you been playing lately? I've only been playing Sherlock Holmes, Testament of Sherlock Holmes on the Xbox. It feels very much like a port from a PC game. Like you do walk around, you can choose between a first person or a third person perspective and you're at a crime scene or a room and you walk around and if you get close enough to a, uh, a thing to look at, a little magnifying glass will appear over it in blue. So you click the action button and it'll zoom in and look at it. It'll make an observation or you've got to dissect it a little bit more. And then once you've seen everything in something, it'll go green to say you've finished with this bit of the clue. And you go around and piece it all together. And it's meant to be like, according to how long to beat, it should be 12 hours. And I dare say I probably used all, all of that time up. Okay. But now, I don't know much about this game. It's kind of like a point-and-click adventure, sort of like... Pretty you're... much. Yeah, that sort of... I mean, you walk around, but it's essentially a point-and-click, but you use normal, like, first-person walk-around. Yeah. And then you get the clues, and there's puzzles, and you've got to unlock the puzzles to keep going in the game. So it's very linear. There's no real deviation from the story. It's not very well designed. Like, I read some reviews, and they said it was quite good, and they said it wasn't bad. Like, I've got a big Jones for Sherlock Holmes at the moment. I listened to all the radio plays last year, the BBC productions. I love the Cumberbatch series. I'm watching Elementary at the moment. I like the Robert Downey Jr. movies. So I'm a big Holmes fan. And this was fine. This was interesting. I was shocked at one point. You know, yeah. it's like, ooh, Okay, that was interesting. But it was clunkily designed, some of the aspects. Like, it didn't, doesn't tell you what you have to do terribly well. So, okay. walkthrough was my friend. Yeah. Some of the puzzles, like, what the fuck am I doing? Oh, I wish they had explained that to me. Little things like that. Was it rewarding? If you're a Holmes fan. Did it follow, like, a, a traditional Holmes story? No, it's a new story. I think it's the same people who made... There's A few years ago, there was Sherlock Holmes versus Jack the Ripper, which is obviously not a traditional Holmes story either. So, yeah. they're making their own intellectual problems. Properties, I'm assuming. But, I mean, it's if you're a Holmes fan, it's something. <laughs> it's hard. I mean, the worst thing, though, is I've only got the full 1,000 achievement points out of any game, and that is Hannah Montana the movie. <laughs> I haven't... But this one, I'm up to 980 points. Oh, okay. I'm one achievement away from getting the full 1,000, and I essentially have to play the whole thing again to get it. So it's sort of like, can I be bothered? I'm trying to, to like, speed run through it, but, you know, that's for cunts. So I just don't know if I'm bothered. <laughs> so essentially, that's all I've been playing. Okay. Mm, what about you? You've you've achieved a lot more than I have, I dare say. Well, we did month. talk about in the last show you had bought the Weems Collection Pimble Hall of Fame and gave it away. And gave it away. <laughs> yes. So my review of that is, yeah, I quite like it. I've been playing a little bit of that, mainly because it's something I can play while the kids are around and I'm not worried about you know excessive violence and headshots and stuff like that. I can see why you didn't like it, mm. because it's pretty much a just keep trying until you get better. It's, there's no story being pinball. There's no real progression to it. Although, in a way, there is kind of progression because there's the Williams Challenge where you just play table after table and it gives you like a set goal, like, you know, get a million points on this table or so you know, 600,000 on this table. table. Again. But just 
progress for longer. Yes. Well, basically, you can't save your progress on that. So as soon as you fail, you have like a couple of attempts on each table. And if you lose those attempts, you need to start again from table one, which I can see why you were a bit upset with. Mm -hmm. But I'm enjoying it. I like the real physics of it. What I don't like about it is the fact that they are real pinball tables. And a lot of them are tables from the 70s and 80s, back in the days before they had ball saves when you you lose your ball as soon as you launch it. In the old days, that was it. You lost your ball. But now on the modern pinball tables, you do have that sort of first minute or whatever where you get a free ball back. And playing pinball effects and games like that where I'm used to the ball save and then suddenly getting on these old tables and having it go straight down the guts and just going, oh, look, I've just made a 1,000 points on one ball and that's my game over sort of thing. I was a little bit annoyed. But it's good. And I can see that it probably wouldn't have been a big seller when it first came out as a $70-$80 game. But as a $20 game, it's it's fun enough. I mean, it, it, like I said last time, it just wasn't for me. The physics are perfect. It looks great and it plays great if you want to play pinball because it play, it's just yeah. like playing pinball. Unfortunately, I'm shit at pinball, so therefore I'm shit at this game. And it wasn't rewarding. Like, it wasn't worth me sticking at it. Like, if you enjoyed keep going and getting better at it, I couldn't be bothered getting better at it. That, and that's where yeah. it broke me. Yeah, there is a lot of re- repetition with pinball games. And it's you have to have that right mindset, I think. But yeah, it was fun, and I'm I'm quite glad you gave it to me because I probably wouldn't have bought it myself. I, I don't know. I, you only paid what fifteen yeah. twenty dollars for it, and yeah, it, it is actually on games on demand on Xbox for about the same about nineteen ninety five. So if you are into pinball, it is a bit of nostalgia, I guess. If you if you play them, there's a couple of tables on there. I have played the real tables, and it's kind of a, a little bit of nostalgia playing those again. But yeah, some of the older tables I wasn't really impressed with, but there's a few sort of early 80s tables like Taxi and Whirlwind that I remember playing in real life. So yeah, that, that was fun. Anything else? Well, I finished Lego Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. My five-year-old and I finished the last couple of levels on that. And when I say finished, I've done the full thousand gamer points for that. I remember on last month's episode, I was saying there was a couple that I had to go on FAQ because I didn't think I'd be able to do the full thousand. But, yeah, finding the FAQ and working out how to get around things, that was pretty good, and I managed to do that. And then I'd picked up Lego Lord of the Rings for my birthday just after Christmas, so we started that. But as a Lord of the Rings movie fan, you'd probably like it because it is just like Lord of the Rings the movie. There is wandering around for hours with nothing happening. But as a Lego fan, I'm kind of a little bit disappointed with it because with the your Lego Star Wars and your Lego Indiana Jones, you know, all the other Lego games, pretty much you end up having like a hub world and there's five or six levels in each or sub levels in one big level so for your star wars say you'll have like your empire strikes back with six levels in and that sort of stuff and same as how lego pirates works you had your four different pirates movies with five levels per movie whereas so far in lord of the rings it's a big open map and you just wander around kind of in your sort of your home world middle earth until you come to a level and then you play that level and then after you finish playing that level you wander around to find the next level so it's very hard to find the levels like my five-year-old and i had half an hour to kill the other day so we we're like all right we'll, we'll play one level of lord of the rings and it took us 20 minutes of wandering to actually find a level to play so by the time we got to the level it was like you know time for my two-year-old to get up from his nap so we were like hurrying through the level to get through it so, so it's not fun it's different to a normal lego game if you're a hardcore lord of the rings fan you would probably like it now it's got voices you know, which it does. Is new. Yeah, and um, basically the cutscenes they use the audio from the movie because none of the other Lego have no, talking. All the, is all it? the other so cutscenes in the Lego games are all silent, which is 
grunts and stuff like that. Apart from you know, Lego Batman 2 has talking in as mm. well. But Lego Lord of the Rings, they use the audio from the movie, so there is a lot of talking in the cutscenes, and the cutscenes are very long, and when you see them for the first time, they're unskippable. And again, playing it with a five-year-old that's got a fairly short attention span, and that's saying something considering I've got probably the world's <laughs> shortest attention span. More of that later. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a bit... Again, if you're a real big fan of Lord of the Rings and you know the movie's off by heart, you'd probably get a kick out of it. Like, my favourite Lord of the Rings is the cartoon Lord of the Rings that they made. The Ralph Batches? Yeah, they made, like, half the movie and then they never went any further because they ran out of money or something. But uh, yeah, pretty much. So, yeah, I was quite excited when they, they went to the pub and met Aragon for the first time. I was like, oh, it's just like in the cartoon. But anyway, so they, yeah, it, it's good, but it's a bit of a letdown compared to other LEGO games. And we so are continuing. The of the lot now? I think so. Graphically, it looks good, but the more they go on, the less Lego-y they are. If that makes sense, they've, they've kind of smoothed some of the edges. And in the first Lego Star Wars, the the figures kind of walked in a boxy sort of like Lego people walk, and now they're more rounded and, and more human. And the shape of some of the characters, like even with the Star Wars ones, the the original Lego Star Wars, even though there was you know non-human characters, they still kind of looked like Lego minifigs. Whereas now they, they just look like cartoons, really. Okay. Which is a little bit of a shame. And actually, the, the second second proper level, you start off with like a bit of a, a prelude to the real movie where you see how they made the ring and, and why you're fighting over the ring. And then the actual second proper level, so the, the third level of the game, is where you're playing the hobbits and you're trying to escape from the Dark Riders. And you're in like a dark forest and you're whispering to each other and you're almost crawling to get away from things. And it's just really slow. Which, yeah, a bit of a shame. But as I said, I'll stick it out and I'm a big fan of the Lego game so I'll give so it a So out of all the Lego games now you've played so what Lego Batman 2 is the only one you haven't now? Oh, no, I haven't played Lego Star Wars 3 the Clone Wars one. Okay so which is the best so far? For the game I enjoyed the most I would probably think the Star Wars original trilogy purely for the fact that I'm just a Star Wars nut and yep. that was the first Lego game I played so I really enjoyed that but probably for the best Lego game I'd say the second Harry Potter one Okay. even though I didn't know the source material when I played most of the game although I have now seen seven out of the eight Harry Potter movies but I don't know I'd like playing the Pirates of the Caribbean it kind of made me want to watch the fourth Pirates movie no. that I haven't seen no. but then I've heard yeah, so many bad things about no. it <laughs> But, the, yeah, the exact opposite effect for Lord of the Rings. It's not making me want to watch the movie. Okay. Well, Which, you've got it in it by the sound of it. Yeah. But mm. it's a bit of a shame. But other than that, I've been playing a, a couple of other games. Though something that you put me onto a couple of weeks ago was when SSX got released on Games on Demand. Well, I've got to thank New Game Plus, which is a Channel 31 computer game show here in Melbourne. You can download it. It's free to download to the Torrent sites. They they freely let that out for people. Um, it's not a bad show. For locally produced, it's very, very good. But mm. I followed them on Facebook and they said don't know if it's a glitch or not but SSX is free on Xbox Live at the moment if you want to get it so I logged into Xbox Live I went to the website and it said free it's like okay purchase congratulations you've purchased it's like done so I texted you saying letting you know yeah and I was at work and I was like (laughs) here's my password log on to Xbox Live and set it up for me as well sort of thing and yeah it downloaded fine like I got home that night and turned my Xbox on and let it download and checked it out and it's full game for free I assume it's a 
glitch? Like, th- it should be $69. Yeah, I think it was a glitch. Because the, the next, next day it was 69 again. And even on the... I went on my US account and I had a look and it was still, what, thirty nine ninety nine on the same day it was free in Australia on the US one. So, so thank, um, thank you Xbox Australia for a free game. Yeah, so I, I don't know how that would happen or do they do this? Because apparently it happened for another game a couple of years ago. Yeah, People Fable in the forums 2, were talking. I think yeah. it happened with a couple of for years ago. For a day. Ago. So I don't know if maybe Xbox do this every now and then and just whack a free game out and just yeah. see if anyone notices just to sort of create a buzz to get people going to the site more often. I don't know. It's a weird thing to happen. Mm. And But thank you New Game Plus and thank you Xbox. Yeah, and it's pretty good because we had considered buying SSX based on recommendation off a few other podcasts and some reviews and stuff like that. And, and you played the original? Well, I played a couple of the SSX games on the original Xbox and I, I quite like the, the whole sort of snowboarding genre so I thought yeah free can't get much better than that and I've played probably a couple of hours of that admittedly I played the day we downloaded it and I haven't actually been back since um, but the same as you yeah. that's more to the point that I've got other games I'm playing rather than the fact that I just haven't gone back to it but it, it's it's a good game it's fairly new I think it's only what six or eight months old if that yeah in the last 12 yeah yeah definitely in the last 12 months so it's good And but we talked about whether they're doing it just to create a bit of a buzz i know there was dlc released at the same time so maybe it's that you know it's bad code well it could be or it could be that you know we'll give you this game free for you know early adopters and then you'll get sucked in and want to go and buy more tracks and extra stuff Guilt. on the deal you feel guilty so you buy the dlc because you got the game for free well, who knows i haven't yet but who knows but no, i'll, I'll but probably go back to it i actually enjoyed it because i mean for me i never played the tony hawk games or any of that sort of stuff and it's kind of similar to that where you you do tricks you progress forward yeah, in momentum and make it fun there's three basic game modes there's like your trick runs your speed runs and there's like endurance runs which so far I'm not that good at but the trick runs is not always my favourite you know, basically it's you against a computer opponent and you have to try and outscore them for tricks and like your Tony Hawk games you get combo multipliers for doing you know multiple tricks in the same same run and I've had a bit of fun with that I'm not too bad on the downhill races but yeah the endurance ones where you're in the dark and you have to get past trees and you know fallen rocks that I'm not overly good at so far but yeah I'll, I'll give it another go so that's good another thing I've been playing as well is talking back to when we mentioned how pinballs you're repetitive just keep trying to get a better score I've been sucked into iOS games again and I've picked up a little free game just recently called Hill Climb Racing mm. which it was one of those things that popped up on the you know, free app of the day it looks like Tiny Wings but with cars yeah the graphics on it are very simple almost like flash graphics and you've got either a car or a motorbike or you know, other type of vehicles and you've got a 2D flat left to right scrolling hill and you basically see how far you can get in your car and it sounds the premise just sounds boring as batshit but there's something about it that makes it addictive so you've got an accelerator and a brake yeah exactly yeah. and you jump over obstacles pick up coins and then you use those coins to upgrade your but you accelerate too much you over, over tip and, yeah, exactly, and crash right. and that's what you yeah. you finish by and that, that's what your challenge is it's basically Basically, you either run out of petrol because there's other petrol cans you pick up to refuel, or you crash it. And these games, I mean, I sort of got into some of these, like Jetpack Joyride's very similar game. Yeah. I mean, different look, different concept, but as far as you're going left to right, as far as you possibly can until you die. And 
Temple Run's the same thing, but you're running forward. Actually, there's a Temple Run 2 out now, which I downloaded the other day, but haven't, haven't played yet. I'm not going to touch, because I played for a while. I got into it, and, and it's the same with Williams Collection, is once you have a really good run, you do a really good score or whatever, and they go, I have to play this for that long again just to beat that score. Yeah. I, I don't care. Because yeah. the gameplay doesn't change. You don't get a reward for getting further. Well, so it just got to a point where it's like, okay, I've done as good as I can out of this game that I'm willing to do. I'm done. And it's, it's so easy to walk away from these games once I've done a long successful go yeah what I would consider successful and it's like yeah that's it I'm done well I think that's what the appeal of Tiny Wings is because Tiny Wings the track for want of a better word changes so you're not always racing over the same you know piece of landscape mm. whereas hill climb it's the same hills every time and a lot of the time I'll get to a certain point on each race and I'll be like alright 790 metres I know I can't get past this hill I'm going to crash again and I crash well, I suppose Jetpack Joyride always had coins in different spots. Yeah. And they gave you different challenges. It's like do it 100 metres without hitting someone or do a 1,000 metres and not collect one coin and things like that. So it gave you challenges to in-game to make it different. Mm. And I, I totally understand that and it worked for a while, but then it got to the point where I was like, why am I doing this game? Yeah, and it just, I, I, I find those games aren't rewarding to me anymore where I very much like a storyline and that's what makes me go... Mm forward now I can't do these repetitive things where SSX actually I didn't mind but I only played it for a couple of hours so I, I don't know how much longevity I'm going to have yeah. but I, I didn't mind that because there is a reward at least in that you make money you buy new suits and you unlock more mountains to ski down or yeah, exactly. down. so there is a reward in that one yeah yeah. but again it was it was free and for just a, a bit of a time waster I have wasted quite a bit of time on it and that's the job list for me yeah, and again exactly. speaking of games the difference is it's a minute long there's no I have to play longer to improve my score I just have to play it for a minute yep. to get a better score so I know it's a minute and it, it is a problem I think I've got a problem I should delete the game off my phone it's that bad but yep. anyway well speaking of games that have a long story one other game that I have just recently started which kind of ties into our topic for the night I finally started Red Dead Redemption and I've had that since March last year and I was basically yeah one day I'll play it one day I'll play it that's the problem with those games are so big that you go I'm going to start a quick game for a while and you always put off the long I know I do put off the longer games yeah. for when I've got time I'm never going to have time so. well that's exactly why I hadn't started earlier and the first session that I played on it I played for about two hours and I did two storyline missions in that and then I spent about an hour just wandering around on my horse shooting snakes and coyotes and stuff but yeah it's if you've played a Grand Theft Auto game it kind of everyone back in the day when it got released was saying it's Grand Theft Horse because mm. it is you know that sort of open world find missions help people out or you can just be an arsehole and go around and shoot things and you know skin animals when you shoot them but from what i've played of it i'm enjoying it i think how long to beat said minimum time is about 12 hours that's pretty quick i thought it'd be bigger i think that's purely just doing the missions though and getting from mission to mission takes a little while like you've got a horse and later on you get fast travel with stagecoaches and stuff like that but i've found a couple of times i've got off my horse to pick something up and my horse has just wandered off or you know i've tried to shoot something and the gunshot scared the horse and then i try and whistle for my horse to come back and he doesn't come back so i think maybe as i get better maybe i'll get better horses i don't know but it's fun and as i said it, it ties into our topic for the for this month which we'll get to it's another reason just a little while well it was the main reason i started it 
because you know we're, we're having a bit of a western kick but before we get to that that's probably it for gaming mm-hmm. and Mitch and I have both had quite a big month for movies we're trying to get our way through the Oscars noms the Oscars are on on February the 24th which is about two weeks away a week and a half away here for us and, and the rest of the world. And the rest of the world, yes. Because <laughs> we're in that weird sort of time vortex here in Australia. I know last year we were considering talking about the Oscars and when they released the nominees, we'd only seen like two movies out of the Something nine, like ten that. that were nominated. Yeah. But this year, between the two of us, we've seen almost everything that's nominated. So I thought maybe we'd have a little bit of a chat of some of the, the Oscar hopefuls mm-hmm. and just give our bit of a, an idea of what we think might get up or what we'd like to see get up. Yep. So we'll go through the, the actual nominees firstly. So for Best Picture, this year nominees, uh, there's Amour, which neither of us have seen. And I heard it's a movie to slit your wrist by, so it's not something I plan on probably seeing anyway. It's... Yeah, I, I heard it mentioned on one podcast, they said that it's a movie for two types of people, people who are incredibly depressed and people that want to be incredibly <laughs> depressed. And it's about an old couple where one of them's dying and the other one is nursing them on their deathbed. So really, I can't see anything in that movie that would make me want to go out and see it. And on top of that, it's in French. I don't mind foreign language, but yeah, it's just not for me. No. And we've also got Argo, which I just watched on the weekend. And I saw a few weeks ago, but yeah, really good film. I think Netflix is good. We talked about... We briefly talked about it just before Christmas. With Joel. Joel hadn't seen it at that stage, so we didn't go into spoilers. Yep. So I'm really excited about Argo. I think that's my pick for what will win Best Picture. I was winning everything else. What yeah, was today, the BAFTAs or the Screen Actors Guild? Or something, something was on today, yeah. And yeah, well, it won that. And it, it's already won a Golden Globe for Best Picture. It won Best Director for Ben Affleck. Yep, but so surprisingly, he's not actually up for the Oscar for Best Director. Of course. Well, Who knows how it works. Maybe it's the whole Argo fuck yourself line that sort of upsets some Oscar people. <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt it. But who knows how they think. Yeah. Yep, so Argo is, is good. Um, what else we got? Life of Pi, which I have yet to see. Yeah, well, I wanted to see Life of Pi, but I just haven't got around to seeing it yet. Yeah, because I want to see 3D. Before we record it. I really kind of... I'll probably miss the boat now. And it's like, if I, if I miss out the cinemas, I probably won't get around to seeing it anytime soon. Mm. So I should go checking. Unless it wins, of course, then it'll get back yeah, and re-release exactly. on the cinema. So what else we got? We've got uh, Lincoln, which is the, uh, the biopic for... Abraham Lincoln? Yes, which my friend Although, saw, and I asked if he if they delved into his vampire hunting days, and apparently they didn't in this film. Okay. So there was no crossover between that and the other Lincoln movie this year. So. Yes. A bit strange that they didn't talk about it. Mm, it is a bit strange. Well, there's Beasts of the Southern Wild, which is also nominated, which we talked about about six months ago when you saw it. Was it that long? I think it was, yeah. yeah. Great mentioned... film, great performances. I felt a bit sick because of seafood. <laughs> Not that I'd eat seafood, there was seafood in it, and it made me feel weird, don't know why, but very good, and I think the casting was very good. I don't think they'll win just because it's not Hollywood. Mm. One guy's a baker and the girl's too young, so they're not going to win. But a very good film, and I sort of I kind of want that to win. Like, if Argo doesn't, I, I would love to see that just to get up, just because yep. it's a little bit different, but who, who knows. Okay, next on the list, we've got Silver Linings Playbook, which You've I seen? actually saw last weekend, mm-hmm. and I was quite impressed with it. My wife fell asleep during it, <laughs> so she really didn't like it. I thought it was very good. I thought Bradley Cooper was excellent. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's the story of a manic depressive that has a bit of an episode and comes out of uh, nine months of being in a mental facility and tries to get his life back in line and meets up with Jennifer Lawrence, who was from The Hunger Games and was Mystique in X-Men mm-hmm. First Class. Yep. 
and she's really good acting in it as well. Yeah, and like... she's pretty much manic depressive as well, I guess you'd say. And they kind of get together and form a bit of a friendship over a dance competition. It sounds like that Zach Braff movie from a couple of years ago. That was terrible. Was though. it Garden State? Yeah, yeah. that was terrible. It's, it's, Zach Braff. it's a strange concept, but right. Bradley Cooper was really good in it, and I can see why he's been nominated as well for Best Actor. Robert De Niro was his dad, and he was pretty much just Robert De Niro. And Australia's own Jackie Weaver played his mum with a really bad Philadelphia accent. So, right. yeah, I wasn't that impressed with her. Speaking of bad accents, next we have Django Unchained. Yes. Which has um, Quentin Tarantino doing an Australian accent. See, I was all for Django Unchained. I really enjoyed it. Up until that point with John Jarrett and Quentin Tarantino and their very poor Aussie accents. Uh, well, John Jarrett isn't John Australian Jarrett accent. Is like, it's, not, it's not poor. Like, and yeah. I've been on Wiki since and I've tried to look up how many Australians were in America pre-Civil War, but I couldn't find any figures. There would be some. They would have followed the gold rush. Yes. It was just interesting. I mean, it's Tarantino putting things in. That's what he does. Yeah, and there was a lot of graphic violence in Django, which again is your typical Tarantino. Yes. It's, I don't, it's a weird one. It was long. And I it's suppose it, it was a little too long for me. I, I didn't know. find it long. Like, I found that I was up to the bit with Tarantino in it, and I was like, that was the only time I looked at my watch and went, oh, it's been two and a half hours already, sort of thing. But I was very Tarantino in the fact that it, it sort of was not one coherent long story that was sort of bits, there was sort of like little bits here and there. Exactly. Sort of. And bits are like more than others. He loves the tension. He had some very long, drawn-out scenes that build the tension well. Performances were great. I, I saw a Jamie Foxx film, so that's good, because I'm not a big fan of Jamie Foxx, and it almost puts me off seeing a film, having him in the credits. But it was Tarantino, so I went and watched yeah. it, and I liked it, and I thought he did a good job, but... Christoph Walsh stole Anyone else could have been in it. I, I don't think Jamie Foxx was amazing. I thought he was good in it, like I couldn't fault his performance, but it could have been Will Smith. It, oh, you wouldn't have seen Will Smith in a movie. Yeah, he, 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 he can act. So I, I could have seen again, someone. I could have seen someone. Smith. Not not the way he plays politically. No, no, but it would have been a good film if you wanted to like take a risk. Hmm. Yeah, Christoph Ross was amazing. Actually, the more I think about it, the more I thought Broomhilda was annoying as well. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I think she was more. It's hard for me not knowing American history terribly well, like yeah. how accurate things are, and it doesn't have to be accurate. I'm not worried about accuracy. Well, but talk just, about accuracy. Django was a freed slave. You wouldn't think he'd be able to ride a horse as well as he did the minute he got on the well, horse. Well, I mean, and those are the little things I just don't quite understand, how, how educated they were, Yeah, like as far as aspects of those sort of things. I don't, I just don't know. Yeah, so with the inaccuracies or not, it was just a sort of a hard movie to, I just had to accept for what it was as a movie going, oh yeah, it's a story. And trying to think about it and going, would it work that way? Is that how it happened? Is I, I just couldn't tell. It was just, oh yeah, well just, it's Tarantino. It's his story. It's But I'm sort of getting over his revenge movies. Now, I, what he makes is 70s exploitation films. What this Whether was, it's World War II yeah. or a Western or, a, you know, Chop Socky Bruce Lee film yeah. you know the last three films have all been revenge movies yeah. and Django was part black exploitation, part spaghetti western mm. liberal amount of swearing and racism so it's interesting and I, I dig it I dug it and I liked it but it was weird watching it I was just it made me want to watch Kill Bill again and I've never had that feeling like yeah. I've seen Kill Bill 1 and 2 and the once and sort of caught part 1 on tally once and watched it but never really had desire to watch it but watching Django I'm like I really want to watch Kill Bill 1 mm. again strange I don't know hmm. Yeah, but I've got a feeling that it was good that it's been nominated, but I don't think it'll be really considered to be Best Picture. So the next one on the list is Zero Dark Thirty, which neither of us have seen, but I'm very keen. It yeah. only just came out last week here in the Australia, so... I haven't seen any 
of Catherine Bigelow's recent movies. The last movie of hers that I saw was Point Break. That's a while ago. Yeah, so that was a long time ago. I haven't seen Hurt Locker. Neither have I. And, and I should, because she did win the Academy for it. Yes, but I've got a feeling this would be kind of like Lincoln in the fact that it would be very patriotic if you're an American, and if you're not American, it won't mean a hell of a lot to anyone else in the rest of the world. I'm not getting that. No, okay. I don't know. Well, also, but I think if there's a bit of a moral without seeing it. I yeah. don't know, but I think there's a bit of the moral choices and stuff. I don't think it's a gung ho. Let's get Wait, Osama. Isn't it just basically hunt for Osama bin Laden? What's well, what's about the reporter? Oh, is it's it? the main character? I think. Oh, okay. And she's up for the, I think, Best Actress. She is, yes. Yeah, so I think it's about her a lot. Okay. But the other one rounding up the nominees for Best Picture is Les Miserables, which you yourself went and saw. I have, and it's got a pretty corker of an opening scene, I'll give it that. Okay. Like, I've seen the play, or the musical, and I didn't quite know the story. Like, it was, being a stage show, you know, you can only do so much and emote so well, and even if it's a small, intimate moment, you've still got to project it to the back of the theatre mm-hmm. so there's no small acting in theatre yep. so this was interesting because they filmed it live recording so yeah, all so the they, singing they was sang live while they were, yeah. so it's all real and it was accompanied by a musician playing the piano with the singing so it was sort of like if they slowed down a bit for emotion he could slow down a bit and okay. it was all sort of played together nicely and because it is quite an emotional story it, they, they could play it intimately so it would be quiet if it had to be you know you come out and they almost whisper some lyrics or whatever and it comes mm. out and it's heavy and it's emotional and it works it adds to the performance as opposed to just belting out a song mm. well Hugh Jackman's got a real pedigree for music yeah. Yeah. so it, it makes sense he's good Anne Hathaway's fantastic some of the other characters are not weak but they're just not as strong as those yeah. Russell Crowe probably miscast he's probably the weakest of the lot and it's just bad casting I'm not blaming him him. I just wouldn't have chosen him mm. to play the role. Okay. It just it's a bit strange. Like his voice is a, it's, it's a very interesting voice, but it was different enough. But it's, it's a strange play too or story because it isn't the typical three act structure. It is, but it jumps yeah. forward a lot. It's like oh, this happened, then boom, we get a hit. And there's comedy in there, and there's a real heaviness to it in other bits. So it's sort of all over the shop as far as emotion or what you're feeling. So yeah, it makes it just a weird watch in that way. But I could tell the story a lot better than when I saw it like. When I saw the live show, I'm like, what's going on? What's this? And you don't have the makeup change. Like, yep. nine years forward, then it's another nine years forward. So people are getting older. Oh, okay. I'm like, what? Who? What? How? Yeah. And in this one, obviously, you could tell the story a little easier and better. So it made a lot more sense. But uh, it, it looked okay. it looked pretty damn good, and that opening scene's great. And some of the musical numbers are good. I'll give them that. And, I mean, I must say at the end, when the music rises up and when it's storming the Bastille on the blockade, on the, yeah, I was I was there ready to f- wave my red flag with them. And so probably is something you should have seen at the cinema. I don't think it's on still. Oh, it'll be on hmm. until the Academy. Oh, true. But it's it's inspiring in a lot of ways. It's long, like all the other movies, but it's a rewarding experience. Well, out of the ones that we have seen, obviously I've seen half of the nine that are nominated, and you've seen about the same. We've seen a couple different. Yep. What would be your pick? <sighs> Because it's the Academy Awards, I think Argo. Yeah. Because or, or Lincoln. Yeah. Has oh, Spielberg won one yet? Yeah, we got one for um, Schindler's List. Schindler's List. So yeah, because yeah, I mean, it's not. It's not. It's still not a darling of the Academy, but it is about Abraham Lincoln. So yeah. it's, it's a pretty safe bet. Argo. Are they willing to go young and give it to the new upstarts and give it a go? Because that's very pro-American, so they're pretty happy with that. Yeah. And I, I did think the acting in Argo was really good. Like you couldn't really fault anyone in that movie except him casting himself well, as a half Mexican. Yeah, but I'm not but really apart like, from that he's fine. The I, I was fine up until the last scene where you say the actual the character versus 
Ben Affleck is like, you're not a little short half Mexican. But yeah. anyway, no, that, that was very good. Beast of Southern Wild, I'd love to see get up, but I won't. Yeah. I don't think Again, Django for Django, will. I'd like to see Django win, but I don't think it will. I don't think it will. Zero yeah. like 30 is a chance, but they gave it one two years ago. Whether they give it to her again for Best Picture, I don't yeah. think they're going to do that. So I'm quite happy to say, put my money down on Argo. I think Argo. All righty. So we mentioned a couple of the people that were nominated for Best Actor. We've got Bradley Cooper for Silver Linings Playbook, Daniel Day-Lewis as Lincoln, we've got Hugh Jackman from Les Miserables, Denzel Washington in Flight, which neither of us have seen, and Jacqueline Phoenix for The Master, which is about Alvin Hubbard, yeah. Scientology. Wow, it's not him, but yes, you can yeah. read between the lines and know who it's about. I can't say without seeing everything. Well, exactly. Daniel Day, I'd put my money on just because it's I'm Daniel hearing Day his Lewis, performance exactly. on Lincoln is pretty amazing. Yeah, so I'd like to see Bradley Cooper win purely for the fact that that is the movie that I've seen, but I think Daniel Day-Lewis probably from all accounts is going to win that. And for Best Actress, we have Jessica Chastain for Zero Dark Thirty. Haven't seen, but all report she's good. Jennifer Lawrence for Silver Linings Playbook. Emmanuel Riva for Amour, which we don't plan on seeing. This is going to hurt. Quenzani for Quenzani? Wallace for Beast of the Southern Wild, who is amazing. She's, Miss Wallace. Yeah, she's... <laughs> Eight years old or nine years old, and she's phenomenal. And she wasn't an actress, was she? No. She was just someone they found at Casting Call and thought, yep, yeah, put her in the movie. And, I mean, I, she won't win just for the age she is. Yeah. I don't think they'll pay the respect in that way, but God damn it, she was good. And Naomi Watts for The Impossible, which was another film I haven't seen. Is that the Tidal Wave movie? Yes, or the Tsunami film. Same thing, isn't it? Are they? I don't know. Google tell them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so for that one, hard to really say. Not seeing yeah. enough of it to really It, it would be awesome if the little nine-year-old won but it's yeah. not going to happen. So that's about it for the Oscars. Yeah, there's a, a couple of notable things, I guess. Best Animated Feature, we've got Brave, which we talked about last month, and Wreck-It Ralph, both nominated. We've also got Frank and Weenie, which neither of us have seen. Pirates Band of Misfits, which I watched a couple of weeks uh, And Paranorman. Ago. I'd like to think Wreck-It Ralph might win that. Only because we're gamers. Yeah, exactly. I haven't seen any others, so I'm going to go Wreck-It Ralph too. Hmm. Best Supporting Actor, we've got Alan Arkin, who was awesome in Argo. Uh, Robert De Niro, who I thought was just being Robert De Niro from Silver Linings Playbook Philip Seymour Hoffman from The Master he's a very good actor but I haven't seen The Master so I can't really make a statement on that Tommy Lee Jones in Lincoln which everyone says is just Tommy Lee Jones being Tommy Lee Jones and Christoph, and Christoph Waltz. Waltz. Christoph Waltz won the Golden Globe. So it's between Alan Arkin and Christoph Waltz for me. Both yeah. were awesome in the movie and wouldn't be the same without them. So I they can fight it out. I haven't seen enough of Christoph Waltz to know his sort of style, but I thought everyone's saying, you know, it couldn't have been anyone else but him in that movie, but I kind of thought Stanley Tucci could have done it. That's true. But then Stanley Tucci can do anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Best Supporting Actress, Amy Adams for The Master, Sally Field for Lincoln, Anne Hathaway for Les Miserable Albums, Helen Hunt for... Uh, the sessions and Jackie Weaver from Silver Linings Playbook. Well, my patriotic side says I hope Jackie Weaver gets it because we like to see. I Aussies don't think she'll be watching that movie. Yeah, but, but Anne Hathaway, like I thought, because I know they play politics with this a lot, where they'll get maybe the main actor, but they'll drop him back to supporting, and just so they can, they got more of a chance. Like yeah. if you're up against De Niro in a role where he's going to get the Academy, you drop your actor down to supporting, and then they've got a much more chance of winning it. Yeah. And I thought that was the same with Anne Hathaway. I thought, oh, they're playing politics but no it is a supporting role she's okay. out of it quite not quickly but it's a long film but she's not in a lot of it so it is definitely a supporting role and she is damn good and it's... Well, Christoph Waltz was in a lot of Django but I guess Jamie Foxx being Django the title character means Christoph Waltz is supporting actor yeah. I don't know I'd like to thank Christoph Waltz for that one I, as we said I don't really have an opinion for actress because I haven't seen 
enough of the movies that are on there. You just don't want to see Jackie Weaver, man. No, I just don't want to see Jackie Weaver. Yeah. Amy Adams is kind of cool. I haven't seen the movie that she's been nominated for, The Master, and I don't really think that I would want to see that movie. But oh. anyway. Cool. But yeah, well, we, we talked a lot about Django. and leading... the reason we did that. Yes. Well, we mentioned last month in our episode of movies we were keen to see this year, Django was up there. Mm -hmm. So with the release of Django, we've decided to go back and have a look at some of the inspiration from Django. And we've watched a fairly hefty chunk of Westerns between the two of us over the last month. And part of that hefty chunk, we actually sat down and watched the three Man With No Name trilogy movies. So or the Dollars trilogy. The Dollars or trilogy or whatever. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Spaghetti Westerns. Are Sergio Leone's Leone. famous spaghetti Westerns from the the 60s. Mm -hmm. So starting with A Fistful of Dollars. A Fistful of Dollars, yes. Which, for mine, out of the trilogy was a better movie. You could see that as the movies progressed, the... Technical side of it. Yeah, the they, they looked better, but storyline-wise, the first one was, for me, the best one. Well, I hadn't seen any of them beforehand. You'd seen... Uh, yeah, them, I'd seen them you... as a teenager or as a you know, fairly young teenager at that, I think. So I, I knew a little bit of the story, but I didn't really remember a lot of them. Yeah. And I, yeah, so this was the first for me to see these. And I judge a lot of movies now on how long it is before I pick up the iPad. And unfortunately, it's these films... Five minutes? Yeah, I think pretty much every one I had the yeah. iPad within five because they are slow. And it's just not any fault of the film. It's just my attention's been shit. And I mean, what is it? The second one is 12 minutes on... Oh, no, the last one. But yeah, there was about 12 minutes. Good about the no 12 minutes. First 12 minutes, there's no dialogue. So it's just this slow pace. Like, reading the trivia with the first movie, the music was written first, so some scenes were actually drawn out to fit the music as opposed to have music fit the scenes. Yeah, so, so they stretched a couple of the scenes longer than they needed to be yeah, just so they could get the last few bars of the, the music in. And, yeah, finding out, reading the trivia, the first one is a man with no name turns up, he gets called Joe by one of the characters, and that's it. So he has a name of Joe but he turns up to town and there's two warring like cartels that are sort of essentially ruining the town by holding it to ransom yeah and Clint Eastwood turns up and sort of plays both factions off against each other until they self-destruct essentially is the story yeah basically cleans the town out of all the baddies by, by making them kill each other yeah and it's very similar to a movie called Yojimbo by Kurosawa the famous Japanese director yep. so much though that they actually took them to court and won yep successfully sued them <laughs> and essentially Yojimbo was considered a classic film in Japan it's a classic film it's classic cinema yep. around the world but even though it is a famous film and a successful film he made more money on the 15% they were they got 15% of the revenue made from this film went to the guys from Yojimbo yep. and they made more money on that than yeah. they did on actually making the film Yojimbo and Yojimbo is a great film by the way it's, it's, it's fantastic it's very similar it's up there with your Miller's Crossings and those sort of films so they're not that's and it's all based on original book from the 20s or 30s I think it's a yeah. crime book so it's that whole idea of playing two warring factions off against each other by someone on the inside mm -hmm. interestingly though when we watched A Fistful of Dollars we watched a little clip on YouTube that came out for 19, well this movie was what 1965 I think it was 64 it was filmed and released in Italy and then it was released a couple of years later in the States. Yeah, and, and when it was 75 when it was released for television they went and filmed with Harry Dean Stanton a little five minute segment to sort of put at the start of the movie to try and just tighten the plot up a little. And it really helped. Like we watched the little snippet after we'd seen the actual film and a lot of the film 
it doesn't make a lot of sense why Clint Eastwood's in the town and doing what he's doing. Mm. But then they kind of turn it around and give him a reason to be there. So if you haven't seen A Fistful of Dollars, I'd say watch the little Harry Dean Stanton bit first and then watch the movie and it'll probably make more sense. Mind you, it may have said it in the movie, but I didn't notice because I might have been looking at my iPad. Like, it's, it's not a bad film. I'm not saying it is. It's just it wasn't keeping my attention as yeah, well. The pa- yeah, the pacing of 60s movies is very different to the pacing of a modern yep. They did set a few precedents, apparently back in the 60s, of showing a, a gunman and the victim in the same shot. Yeah, because um, Clint Eastwood was not the first choice for the role. Like, it was all a bunch of he wanted Charles, Charles Bronson. Bronson and all these other actors. And Charles Bronson says the worst script he'd ever read, so he said no. And Clint Eastwood was not a name by any stretch. He was on Rawhide yep. at the time, so he was on a TV show, Western. That was it. He wasn't a huge name. And he was on a contract that he wasn't allowed to make any films in America while making Rawhide. It didn't stop him going to Italy and making a film. So, to his credit and his luck... He got this amazing role, gave a great performance in a movie that he shouldn't have been allowed <laughs> to yeah. make and essentially reinvigorate, not reinvigorated because Westerns were popular, but he changed the face of Westerns yeah. with this role. He had a lot of control over his, like he got the poncho from one costume designer, he got the black jeans and the cigars himself and he grabbed the hat from a costume department exactly. that he was in. So he very much brought a lot of himself to the character. Yeah. to the role but there's a lot of in staple the way they film it in Hollywood is with a gunfight or whatever they'd show the protagonist draw the gun and fire and they'd cut to someone falling down being shot yeah. and something that Leone did was you'd have the camera sitting behind the gunfighter you'd see him draw and the guy get shot in the same scene all these different conventions that weren't done and he sort of just opened it up the sounds of the guns were different sort of the brutality of a lot of it he sort of sort of dirtied up the western yeah and like you say that now, you think nearly every movie you see now, you see the gun and, yeah. and the person getting shot in the same shot. Like just to jump off track for a second, both mm. of us recently saw Looper, and there's that one scene in Looper where there's just gunfire everywhere and bodies falling everywhere, and it just made me think of the difference between you know a modern film and that sort of mm. you know, thing that wasn't done back in the sixties. And actually, one of the other things that Leone did for A Fistful of Dollars was they showed a, a horse getting shot, which was a real big no-no back in those days. Mm. But, yeah, as I said, the story was good. The acting wasn't spectacular, but what really kind of threw me out, the fact that it was filmed in the dialogue in Italian and then dubbed into English, and some of it wasn't very well dubbed. One, the voice is doing one thing and the mouth's doing another, and yeah. that does take me out, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I can read subtitles, and it never takes me out of a film. I, I can still be absorbed in a film by reading the dub bad dub yeah. it just seems it doesn't work terribly well with me and because they were all like Mexican accents and stuff it was sort of noise as opposed to dialogue yeah. in a lot of ways it wasn't wasn't well recorded so it, it didn't grab my attention unfortunately and you could really tell it was dubbed it, it, it kind of felt like you're almost watching like a parody of a movie with someone you know mystery science fiction theatre doing the voices over the top or something mm. like that which yeah, is so, a bit of a shame so it was just unfortunate. I was hoping to love the movies more than I did I I loved scenes in them. Like mm. the second movie, Lee Van Cleef was really good in a few dollars few dollars more yeah i thought his character was good mm-hmm. and prior to seeing these again i was under the impression that they were the same ongoing characters through the three films but considering he's wearing the same outfit in all three yeah. but no apparently but they're yeah. not but what i found at the time i thought the second one before we seen the third one because we watched these one a week and i thought at the time the second one was better than the first one i thought yeah. they'd improved on so many things and then the third one i thought oh yeah and looking back i think the first one's actually the better one because yeah. the story is the better one because they ripped it off of a really good source but the framing of the shots and stuff like 
that in that third one, especially in the big dramatic ending, I thought was really well done. Mm-hmm. But I found there was just big chunks of that third movie that just did not interest me. The third one seemed to be bigger. It, they went oh, for it that massive, whole bigger and there was a bigger cast and there was, you know, the Civil War was going on so they had extras and big battles going on and it didn't need it because it's such a small story. It's like a few people and it looked fantastic. Yep. It just, yeah, the, it the pacing bit... is, is what killed me. Yep. My modern lack of ability, attention, attention span, yeah. it's just, it, it killed me, unfortunately. Yeah, but I'm glad we watched them. Me too, and I mean the star of the thing is definitely Clint Eastwood. Like yeah. he he owned that role. Like for someone who came in, he shows he's got talent. Like the fact that he came in as a oh yeah, and this is a defining role, and he just did it. Mm. But the music, the music especially in that third one. Oh, all of them. You yeah. just have a it's Morricone, Enzo yeah. Morricone. Yep. His music is just not the star of the show, but it's it's, it's equally pivotal. as important. Yeah. And definitive for that setting the tone going forward. And he's even did one of the pieces for Django Unchained, yep. and you sort of feel it. You know. Yeah. Well, leading on from that, we're actually going to have another excursion coming up on the weekend. And yes. on the 17th of February, we're off to see Once Upon a Time in the West which at is, the Astor Theatre. Which is um, Morricone and Sergio, Sergio Leone. And it's meant to be very good. It's meant to be too low. I have been warned that there's a 17 minute sequence with that dialogue, but I am at the cinema and that's where my attention span is focused. When I'm at the cinema, I can't grab an iPad and I seem to do a lot better there. So he's hoping yes. it's all so much better. So if anyone in Victoria knows where the Astor is and inclined to join us please on the 17th did you say yeah 17th 17th this this coming Sunday get your parents to sign your excursion form come along it'd be great to see anyone there so 7pm come and and join the massive attack excursion to the cinema so all of that to lead up to go on this excursion we do a lot of research not for for you, but for us, but you know, yes. you enjoy. It. But we, so we, we saw these definitive westerns that were spaghetti westerns, spaghetti westerns, with Django Unchained being one of the main reasons we did it. Yeah. But then we obviously go, all right, they're a bit slow and long. We really should see some other westerns. Yes. And we went and saw different ones. <laughs> yes. Well, I went and saw. Well, I didn't go and see. I I watched at home, but I watched the remake of True Grit. Had you seen the original? A long time ago. And again, it was something that I saw when I was a high school age child. Yep. And there were certain bits of the movie that I remembered more than others. The fact that John Wayne, like, re-cocked his Winchester rifle by, like, spinning it around like a pistol always stuck with me when I was a kid. It's a great scene. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it when I was a kid. I didn't remember a lot of it. But then watching the new one, I thought the new one was, was actually really good. And I thought the young girl actor in it, I don't know what her name was off the top of my head, but I thought she was really good. I actually got nominated for the Academy Award that year but again too young I think yeah. she's not gonna hasn't paid her dues yeah. but, I thought uh, Jeff Bridges was really good mm-hmm. wasn't too sure about Matt Damon but he did the job I think he was fine but it was interesting though because I'd watched that and it had been a long time since I'd seen the original and then we went on YouTube and actually watched a comparison of the one of the scenes where it's like does it fill your hands you bastards sons of bitches, sons of bitches. yeah and just the, the way the original was filmed and the way the new one was filmed it was a shot for shot remake pretty, pretty much. much Yeah, but that, that really was the best because I only watched Trigger when six months before the new one came out. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's coming out. I should watch the original. So I saw them quite close together and both hold up. Both are good. I mean, John Wayne has a presence in the same way Clint Eastwood does. Yeah. Jeff Bridges is a good actor and he brought something to that role, but he's not John Wayne. But and he, he has his eye patch on the, on the different eye. Well, that's what makes him different. Yes. Yeah, so, a poetic license there. 
uh, that was True Grit. You watched Tombstone, which I did. And we've all seen a couple of times, but I hadn't seen Tombstone for a good few years. But watching it again just recently, I think Tombstone is the perfect western. Be cool, but it's, it's, well, it's, it's a good film. It's definitely my favourite western. It's watchable. It's very, very, watchable. very watchable, and it has such a great cast. Like you've got Kurt Russell, you've got um, Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday, you've got as Bill Paxton as his brother Morgan, you've got Sam Elliott, and you can't really have a movie. As a Western, a Western without Sam, Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott was just born to do Westerns. Mm-hmm. But even the supporting actors, you've got Terry O'Quinn from Lost as like the town mayor. You've got Dana Delaney, whose big claim to fame before that has been China Beach as like Wyatt Earp's love interest. You've got Powers Booth as the main bad guy. You've got yeah Michael Bean as the, the other gunfighter. You've even got Charlton Heston turning up for one scene for no particular reason. But it's just, to me, there was no wasted scenes in that movie. And even Jason Priestley's character, as much as he's annoying, was really good in that movie too Michael, a lot of a lot of tv actors yeah michael rooker billy bob thought i'd forgot that billy bob was in it actually and then when i watched it again i was like oh billy bob billy zane yeah actually billy zane i thought was a little bit annoying but his character was Mentally. what it should have been well speaking of billy zane i went after watching django i thought i'm gonna see another black western so I, and it came out around the same time as tombstone and it was sort of like mario van peebles which is the son of melvin van peebles who was a actor director who pretty much invented black exploitation film and his son continued on doing more being in Highlander 2. Three. Three. But Billy Zane was also in a movie that Mario Van Peebles made called Posse, which was about black cowboys. Yeah. And Isn't there some like weird fact at the start of that movie where they're saying like 60% of all the people that worked in the, the Old West were like African Americans? Well, there's something to that effect because essentially after the Civil War, yeah. a lot of them were in freed. Freed slaves, yeah. And they didn't have that many skills, like because they were slaves. Boat so, hunting skills, yeah. ninja skills. So because of that, they sort of went into cowboys. They became yeah. cowboys. Either outlaws or, you know, cowboys rustling, you know, doing jobs of that. Yeah. But it's an interesting film. It's not. Sometimes I think, oh, he's a really good director. But I think what you see with a lot of westerns is you go out to the Nevada desert or Monument Valley, you put a camera there, you get the sun setting, it looks fucking brilliant. You could be Uwe Boll and it will look fucking good. <laughs> so I think westerns are sort of easy to film if you're doing just those scenes. You've got the music playing and you've got people riding on a horse with that background behind you. It looks amazing. Yeah, the landscape it, is the star of the movie in some of the westerns. Whereas... Yeah, there's little bits where his direction was a bit dodged, but Posse was interesting. It's very 90s. I mean, Tombstone's probably very 90s too, if you look at it, but interesting story with Tombstone is essentially directed by Kurt Russell. Like, the credit is George Cosmatis, but I know this was a pet project to Kurt Russell. He wanted to get it made. He had a director on board. That didn't work terribly well. He rang his mate Sylvester Stallone and said, I'm having trouble getting this film made. And he goes, look, give my mate George a call when I did Rambo 3 or something or whatever movie you made. He goes, get him on board. You tell him what you want and he'll tell you. He'll do it. So essentially, he's a director for hire who does what he's told. Yeah. So it's essentially a Kurt Russell director film directed by proxy yeah and it's damn good like you said it's your favorite and it's incredibly watchable yeah like i don't know how again accuracy i have no freaking idea there's i know there are actual there are bits in there that are unbelievable but reading the history of it are true yeah i did go and check out the wiki of wide Earp and just have a read of some of the things and i think there was another brother that went to tombstone arizona with them that's not in the movie i think there was actually a, another Earp brother that went there first and then said to, to Wyatt, bring the rest of the brothers here we can make a 
lot of money. And they didn't mention that at all in the movie. And um, Dana Delaney's Josephine character, I think, was 18 years old when, when she actually met Wyatt Earp. And I'm sure Dana Delaney was a lot older at the time when she made the movie. But there was a few inaccuracies. And that's the same with Posse. I, have no, I haven't read any wiki, so I don't know how accurate that is to the truth. And yeah. it was Freetown or something, or at least black settlers did. And there's a factoid at the end that said, you know, of all the black townships that were bought up, a lot of them were destroyed or lynched and stuff. Okay. So, I mean, it's most likely true going yeah. on from a history there, but that's that's a problem with Mar- Not a problem, but Mario Van Peebles is very passionate about his black history and yeah. his heritage, and he wants to promote that in the same way that Spike Lee with Malcolm X. You know, he made the movie two minutes longer than JFK because Malcolm X deserved that extra two minutes more <laughs> than JFK did. That's fine, you make your movies. Yeah, so Posse is a weird film that is... It's a Western, and it's also got an agenda, and... it's Yeah, but it's political. It's political, and it sort of got in the way of the good story sometimes, in the same way that... Tombstone doesn't let the truth get in the way of making a damn fine Western movie. Like, well, I don't know how true... Because I, I watched this a couple of years ago, Tombstone again, and it made me go on this wide Earp kick. So I downloaded... I, I, I found all these, like, wide Earp films, including the Kevin Costner movie Wide Earp, which, opening sequence, I watched it, it looked amazing. You know, the vista, the landscape. It's like Dean Semler, I think, was yeah. the cinema photographer on it. Just looked amazing. It's like, why is this film not more important? Two and a half hours later, I'm like, I damn know why it's not important, because it's fucking slow, it's boring, and... Oh, yeah, it's pretty slow and boring. Well, Tombstone's two and a half hours long. But it's action. Yeah. And cool. Where this one, and I think it might be historically accurate, the wide oat with Kevin Costner, because he plays a prick. Yeah. He's actually not a likeable character. Where Kurt Russell is wide oat, he's kind of likeable, even though he's cheating on his wife and all those sort of things. Is he cheating on his wife? Not until after his wife kind of leaves the picture. Yeah. More. So it makes it, yeah. it makes it easier to watch him leave his wife and exactly. go to a new girl. Where he's not a likeable character in the wide oat biography with Kevin Costner. But look at the picture though. Kevin Costner compared to Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell is just he's cooler than, he is he's cooler than <laughs> Kevin Costner and no matter how you look at it Kurt Russell is going to be cooler than Kevin Costner yeah but it's just the character they portrayed like he he pulled no punches it's like if he is a you know an adulterer then he played him as that and yeah. he was a prick of a bloke he had to go into town and he was not liked he wasn't it's not like he was doing the right thing by the town he was but he did it by not making friends no so it's sort of hard to watch this unlikable character for this long a time yeah. whereas Tombstone's an action film and, and Tombstone there is scenes in Tombstone like that Billy Bob Thornton scene where he's like the arrogant dealer in the saloon that's not getting anywhere near as much business as it should because he's the card dealer and he's just a bit of an ass. and then Kurt Russell just goes in there and goes hey you're sitting in my chair sort of thing and slaps him around and pistol whips him until he leaves town and then Kurt Russell's like alright I'm your new dealer and from then on, that's you know, business is booming. Mm. So yeah, with the white herbs, actually, there's another one, Gunfight the OK Corral, which is another one with Charlton Heston as white herb and Kirk Douglas's Doc Holiday. Yeah. So Doc Holiday, if you can get that role, is pretty good. I think it's Dennis Quaid in the Kevin Costner version. Oh, okay. So it's a good role if you can get it. You just got to cough a lot because you got your tuberculosis. Just the lines he says though in, in Tombstone though. Oh, Val Kilmer's probably, probably his best Huckleberry. role, I'd say. Well, Val Kilmer actually went on a couple of years later to do another white herb movie, and he played white herb. I haven't seen that one. No. Oh, it's, it's like the, Herbs I've seen I haven't seen that I can't remember what it was called but looking at the wiki it was like the, the, the trials of Wyatt Earp or something like that okay. it's, it's quite ironic that you know, he's been Doc Holliday and he's been Wyatt Earp mm. well I did because we were doing the westerns and we sort of looked at the the black history with Posse and Django I thought why don't we do some Australian westerns I, myself I thought I'd do this now I have quickly down under the Tom Selleck movie which <laughs> 
I have memories of it being good, which I didn't end up seeing again, but what I did see was the 2006 Australian film The Proposition, which was yep. written by Nick Cave, the singer, and it's good. It's is, weird. It's, it's Is it set in Australia? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's um, basically, it starts off with two brothers being arrested, and one's a younger brother, like your teenager, and um, Mike from Neighbours, Guy Pierce, is given a proposition by the police chief or whatever he is, saying, you bring your other brothers back, because they're all outlaws and they're all wanted. Yeah. We want the others. We don't really want you kid brother we want the others you finish them off and we'll spare him okay. so that's the proposition yeah so it's sort of he's sent off to deal with his brothers and you sort of get this it's very outback very australian colonial i guess because you've got this english ray winston plays the guy who gives him the proposition and you sort of get the story of him back in the town while guy pierce goes off and meets with his brothers and what time frame are we talking about? I say late 1800s. Like, okay, so could be kind mid of 1800s. After your yeah, sort of Ballarat Gold Rush sort of times. Yeah, I don't know where particularly it's set. Okay. Like, it's it's, it's all out back. Yep. It's, it's not, there's no town. It's not like a city, you know, colonial Adelaide or anything. Yep. It's, it's definitely out back. Interesting film, violent in a lot of ways. Like very violent scenes out of nowhere every now and then. So, like, ooh, okay, wasn't expecting okay. that. Um, it's got a very Western feel. Like, you've got the town focus. It's very Australian. Like, you've got Aboriginal trackers and certain aspects are definitely Australian but it's got the western tropes of the lynchings of town and that aspect so it's and you've got the outlaws and, yeah. you know essentially a sheriff but it's not a sheriff well, is it recommendable like, hard to say I've heard good things about it it's what, fairly old now you said 2006 yeah. yeah and I think Nick Cave has a very good writing mind like he's written a few things I think this is his first feature that he's written. I think so. Reading the trivia, he wrote the script in three weeks. So. Yeah. So, okay. He's an interesting mind, though, uh, mm. Nick Cave. So, yes. Maybe I should check that out. Yeah, it's a weird one. I mean, Quigley Down Under is definitely a Hollywood film. Like, it's a, you got the American star came over. And yeah. From memory, it was good, but we'll see. Okay. I mean, it's, I mean, I should rewatch it. Yeah. It's one of those films that I sort of have fond memories of, but it's got a terrible reputation. Yeah. But there's so many good westerns out there. Like, every couple of months or every couple of years, I will have a western kick. Something yep. will trigger me. I'll see a film and I just have to go and watch. I'll watch one, then another, then another. Yeah, I, I kind of thought the westerns were a bit of a dying breed, but then I we looked on Rotten Tomatoes at their top fifty or top one hundred westerns, and there was a lot more modern ones than I actually remembered. And some I never heard of, but they're like I mean, there were some seventies ones in there, which yep. outlawed Jesse Wales and those sort of things. But yeah. then there was yeah, there, yeah were, some, there were your classics as well. There like, were some nineties ones and two thousands, and I hadn't quite heard of them, or they weren't big enough for me to care about and then yeah. they're in the top 20 of this list and yeah. it's like okay and there was that kind of resurgence sort of Unforgiven sort of brought yeah, back exactly. like Tombstone and Unforgiven are at very similar times and you say Tombstone's a perfect western I think Unforgiven is, Un- is a better film maybe yeah. but it's just not um, as fun Tombstone's your perfect action movie western I yeah. think and um, Unforgiven is just amazing yeah. like Quick and the Dead is a fun western from memory yeah that's the Sharon Stone one yeah, yeah. and Russell Crowe's in that as well mm-hmm. isn't he? Dean Hackman he's in both yeah, Unforgiven and that. Yeah, there's a lot of crossover with Western actors. There's oh, people Sam that, Sam Elliott. Exactly. There's people that work well in Westerns and they kind of turn up a lot. Well, John Wayne sort of did that early on and then Clint Eastwood sort of carried that on. Yeah. And then I think people just like to do the roles. I think if, like Gene Hackman would have grown up watching them. Yeah. It's like, oh, God, I get to play a bad sheriff? Oh, fuck yeah, bring it on. Yeah. Because it just looks like fun. Like if you want to, I would love to walk around in chaps and pants, not just chaps. And, you know, 
cowboy boots with spurs and shit and cowboy hats. It's just freaking awesome. Yeah. Like, it just, there's just a coolness about it. Yeah, I don't know about the riding the horses bit. Horses kind of freaking out a little. Fair enough. That's, that's westerns. I mean, we're not, not even, we're not even scratching the surface. Exactly. We're, we've hit the very obvious ones. So if anyone please, I love, I want to see more. So go to our Facebook and recommend ones that we should we, be seeing. We did have a couple of people recommend some and obviously we didn't get around to a lot of the ones that they've recommended. Even you yourself have recommended ones to me that I haven't watched, like Rio Bravo, I didn't get around to watching again. Mm-hmm. I've got a copy of The Good, The Bad and The Weird, the Korean Western sitting waiting to be watched and I just haven't got around to they watching it. They can go in our Asian cinema. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. We can... Exactly. We've done our Westerns, now we're going to do our Easterns. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. Yojimbo. But we should go and watch Yojimbo and, and just see how different they were or, or how similar they were, more to the point. And um, we didn't get around to watching Big Money Rustlers. No, either. we didn't, because... I have seen it, so okay. I didn't have to see it again. It is uh, it's a western starring the insane clown posse. Yes. <laughs> and just think, the other night when we spent 25 minutes watching the gathering of the Juggalos infomercial, we could have been watching Big Money Wrestlers instead. We could have. Yes, at least the infomercial's only 25 minutes. Yes. But if Mind it wasn't you, for that infomercial, we never would have found out the band The Millionaires, no. would we? <laughs> The sad life we lead. Well, that's enough talk, I guess, about Westerns. We'll probably briefly do a little bit next month when we we do our review of Once Upon a Time in the West and and see how that was. Because you haven't seen that before, have you? No. No. So it'll be a new movie for both of us. So yes, hit us up on our Facebook. We mentioned it before. It's facebook.com slash the Massive Attack Podcast. We're also on Twitter as the MA Podcast. You can find us on iTunes as the Massive Attack Podcast. And as we keep saying, we're also on Stitcher as the Massive Attack Podcast as well. But you should know all that because you're listening to us. Exactly. Yeah. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Tell both of them. <laughs> and, <laughs> and hopefully they'll listen to you. Alrighty, Mitchell, that's enough for tonight. Cool. And thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next month. See you next month. Uh, uh. I gotta go, gotta go. Before I do something stupid. I gotta go. I gotta go, gotta go. Before I do something lame. 